Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Good morning and welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and this podcast is ranked in the top 2.5% of the most popular podcasts globally, and I'm very proud of that. And it's all because of my incredible guests, and I'm very proud of that as well. This is a show that is doing so very well because of the people who come on. And I am honored and blessed to share time with these people who are at the top of their game. And they're here and absolutely willing to help you get to where you want to be in life and business. And these are not people who hold back. Their goal is to share with you the essence of peak performance. And our topic today, it's an important one. It's Money Talks for Women, how more women can fund their dreams and confidently put their dreams first. Now, Lynn Kitchen is a friend of mine, and she is also the producer of Positive Media, a financial coach consultant, a leadership expert, and so much more. And she is the founder and executive producer of the world's greatest motivators TV series. Go watch that. By the way, if you haven't found it, go watch those. The Master Mentor Series and co-producer of Bob Proctor at Carnegie Hall. And she is a former owner executive of two investment advisory firms and has enjoyed a 34-year career as an executive money manager. In fact, Lynn was one of the first women to open her own financial broker dealership And she is also a licensed spiritual practitioner and life mastery consultant. And I love her mom. We'll talk about her a little bit, too. (laughs) So, Lynn, welcome to your Parkinson's Success Radio. Oh, thank you, Denise. It is my honor and pleasure. My gosh, I I am am so impressed that you, this is 2.5% top of the arrow podcast. Congratulations to you, Denise. This is a, I'm an honor to be in, in the presence of, you know, such a, a high top of the arrow person as you. <laughs> yeah, and, you have and to with say all that. Of We're guests, friends. You have gosh. to say that. And I'll put the five bucks in the mail. So we'll get that. We'll get that out of the But honestly, when I tell you it's all about my guests, I'm not kidding. I mean, I live, you know, 15 miles from the Gulf of Mexico as a crow flies. I'm in a fairly rural area. I am not going to meet people like you and my other hundreds and hundreds of guests at my local Walmart. Just not going to happen. So this podcast gets to reach all across the globe, and I get to meet the most amazing people. And thank you for being here. Well, I'm honored to be part of this amazing group that you have gathered, And you know, because every Every time I listen, it's just more and more broad, gorgeous ripple effect that uh, is really making a difference. Like you said, top of the game, but also essence of peak performance, essence of peak performance, essence of peak performance. I could repeat that. Essence of peak performance. That's what we all need. <laughs> and I'm and so glad that, you know, that's what yeah. you represent. Well, and that's what my, my guests represent. And I've got to tell you, and I don't have one of your books, but... This room, my office, in my home, and I've got two and a half bookcases. One is laying on the ground. It needs to be assembled and put up. There are hundreds of books in this room, and every single book, every single book was gifted to me by my podcast guests, everyone, and I've read everyone. So, you know, like I said, I get to meet the darndest people, brilliant people. Well, I'll just have to help you fill up the, the bookshelf even more. And so you do. Mind. <laughs> I've got your mom's book. All right, before we, we get too far out of the, the conversation here, here, let's talk about your mom because I love her. Oh, thank you, Denise. Well, you're, thanks for being a fan. I actually have a, I have a 99-year-old mother who became a two-time author in her 90s, one at, at the age of first author book at the age of 93, the second at the age of 97, uh, created her own podcast and a newsletter uh, in her 90s called The 90s, which is a club, a kind of like a sports club that she calls The 90s. It's a club that if you've made it to your 90s, you have succeeded. Uh, and then she just like 
pours love all over you. And I, I, you can't not love someone like that, right? <laughs> right. You can't. And when I found out from you and from her that she was a massive NFL fan, I said, yeah. well, I need to introduce you to my friend Jim Tunney, Dean of I NFL know. Referees. And they're pen pals now. It's they fantastic. are pen pals. Oh, she asks him questions and he answers her. And it's amazing that uh, she has access. She's so proud of herself. And thank you so much, Denise. Um, she has access to one of the top referees in the NFL history. And she takes advantage of that by asking him every single question that she can possibly think of, which keeps her sharp. Well, this will make her happy, and this is not common knowledge yet, but he was just nominated for the Hall of Fame. No. Yep, oh. NFL Hall of Fame. We're, oh we're not putting it out on social media. I'm ratting him out. We're, we haven't First put it out on social right media yet, but it's time. It's way past time. His his mentor and his former boss, Art McNally, was um, put in the Hall of Fame last year, and then this year Jim's up for it, and I'm praying he gets it. Oh, he will. No doubt about it. He will. <laughs> That's I hope great. So. I, will, I will reach out to him, too. Well, yeah, yeah she's, a huge, he, she's a huge NFL fan, but more than that, she is a fan of women. Um, and, you know, would it be okay if I start out on our talk about money talk for women, talking a little bit about my mother and uh, just a quick story? Yes, you talk about um, whatever, because I know, and we talked about this, we've talked about it before, and we talked about it in the virtual green room a couple of minutes, but women notoriously neglect, deflect, and deny their own dreams, and your mom is not one of those women. So She's definitely not one of talk those around. women, but she used to be, okay? She used to be. So thank you, first of all, for saying that I, I really did want to talk today. Money talk for women, for me, is all about it's about time for women to really be cognizant that money freedom, more money means money freedom, and notoriously women neglect, deflect, and deny our own money dreams. And somehow we, we may have dreams that we achieve in our life, but normally they're not money dreams. You know, they're norm, normally they're not success in terms of financial freedom. And I think now more than ever, I would like to see more women become financially independent, free, so that we can have a lot more choices and do a lot more good in the world. Because guess what? If you put more money in the hands of women, I argue that only great things do happen. Um, so I wanted to give you this little story about my mother who at one point in her life um, divorced her husband, who was a very successful attorney at the time, and, and she took her two daughters, myself at being one of them, back to a very rural, you were mentioning that you were in, in a rural area, Denise. We were grown, we were um, taken back to my mother's farm town in central Illinois, population 400, something like that. Um, and so she had no job to raise two women, two children. And at the time, this is in the 1955-ish, um, women were not allowed to have your, their own bank account. Now, hear, hear me. You're women kidding me. were not allowed to have their own bank account, and that was only 1965. You know, when we look back on the history of women's privileges uh, as it relates to money, it's very kind of sad that we have this in our, in our background. We of course, we only got the right to vote in, what, uh, 1925 or 28, something like that. <clears throat> but women were not allowed to have their own bank account in uh, 1955. She had to have her father um, open the bank account for her. Um, women were not allowed to have a business in their own name, even through 1965. But she did have the, you know, for, foresight to, you know, get some people around her that would support her. At the time, it was very, very rare for a woman with two children to get a divorce. So she was, you know, behind the, the eight ball on that to begin with. But as I go forward to really look at the history of women, um, it wasn't even until I became a um, stockbroker at the age, well, in 1976, okay? So fast forward from... 
55 to nearly 75, only 20 years, women were not allowed at that time to be a stockbroker. Um, I was one of the first women to really beg my way into becoming a stockbroker uh, right out of college, actually, without going through the normal mechanisms, which were you had to be a secretary to a stockbroker first for about 10 years <laughs> or a back office person in, in a support role for more than, you know, more than 10 years. That's like a dying place where most women died. Uh, and it would take an extra decade or two for for women really to become um, powerful sources of income generating within the family unit. And I think that um, we've made a lot of strides since then. But as I as I really look back, um, did you know, Denise, that women were not even allowed to go to a uh, Ivy League school until about 1973. It wasn't until 1973 that, that. Yeah. yeah, that Harvard um, and other, you know, Princeton and other Ivy League schools allowed women. And looking back, you know, I think that the young young women of today who are professionals, perhaps listening in your audience, might be like aghast at the fact that the choices um, have not been what they are today. And women have so much more opportunity today. And yet, in my view, I think women are a little bit sleepy, a little bit uh, dependent still. And I just want to say, I think it's a cultural, (laughs) kind of the cultural phenomenon that we still have a mindset of dependency as, as, well, uh, cultural and, and you know, family. I mean, you you learn from your family, mm-hmm. right? Like I remember when my grandmother, she was a farmer's wife, and whatever he said went. That was just all there oh, yeah. was to it. And I remember <laughs> even as a kid going, "Why don't you talk back? <laughs> why don't you? Why don't you tell him to just? Oh. I'm going to say it on the radio. Shut the hell up!" But she didn't. Well, that's, you know, you and I are probably of the same age group, and that's exactly what I remember growing up, too. Why didn't my mother talk back? Well, she, she did the best she could. I, I can grant you that. And she was a forerunner, but she also was a product of her times, which was that women didn't work. She was one of the first people into the workforce in the, you know, late 50s. Um, and women were supposed to stay home and, and be a, a homemaker. And it wasn't until the 1960s, you can kind of look back on the commercials, uh, the commercials that were selling products to women. Uh, it was all about the, the gleam on your dishware and how you can clean the floors better. And those kinds of products were what women were, were supposed to be buying and that the Procter Gamble's of the world and so forth became multi-millionaire, mega-millionaire international companies because women had the buying power to make those products uh, such a, you know, a a force. And as we move on, and of course, it does make sense. As we move forward in the history of economics, and especially in, in America, you can really trace and track, at least this is what I'm doing now on behalf of women, is tracing and tracking the economic trends that women have been uh, at the forefront of crafting and creating new trends and really uh, creating brand new industries and new products that are uh, mega, mega, mega block, mega busters, but that's a new word. I just made it up, <laughs> mega busters. But it, the economic impact now is shifting um, more and more women are in corporate jobs making 100 grand, 200 grand, 300 grand. More women are getting uh, privileged enough to be appointed into the directorships. Not many, not as much as we need. More women are becoming CEOs of major corporations. Of course, the, the, the percentages are still pretty low, but as compared to when I got into the investment uh, management business, I can tell you I was like one woman, maybe two of us, in a 
training class of 50 to 75 men. And as, as I matriculated through stock brokerage and uh, then ownership of an investment advisory firm, I was always one or two in uh, a boardroom of 20, 25, 30 men. And that was, that was normal. Now I think the, the percentages have shifted. And certainly when you go into a bank today in the financial field, bank, um, banks have changed, brokerages have changed. All, and, and this is to the, the credit of uh, the working force called women, it's mostly women who are the bankers now. Have you noticed that, Denise? When you, I really you, haven't, but I, yeah. I don't ever go mm-hmm. into my bank. I do everything online. You do everything online. I well, get my groceries online. I do everything yeah. online. I'm a and nerd. That's, a, that's an interesting trend, too, that um, I'm believing. I think women are, uh, as at least we have an equal pocketbook, an equal playing field. We have equal rights as it, as it, come, as it relates to our uh, impact, economic impact. I just think that we're not using the, 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 the privileges that we do have. And I think that there's so much more. And that's why I got to tell you, I'm, I'm really jazzed right now at this point in my life, which is, um, I would say, the last quartile of my life, to Look at what it is that women can do to advance uh, their financial independence, and what can I do to go back and mine the 35-some years of money knowledge that I have, that I'm sitting on, and I just realized maybe in the last month that I can help. You know, why not me? Um, and why why not bring forth? Because I do realize and recognize that even now, even now, a majority of women who even have really good investable capital and have the, the you know, they're on their way to building wealth, they still um, have a lack of confidence, a lack of confidence um, in terms of what questions to ask, uh, decisions to make, and uh, that, you know, it, it, it's evident. It puts, it puts the, you know, it just puts, it's interesting how there's not a lot of places for women to go learn and ask even the silliest questions, <laughs> which there are no silly, silly questions. No, there's not. You know, and I want to ask you for some examples of, you know, what kind of questions do they not know to ask? Listen, I'm, you and I have been talking a lot back and forth behind the scenes, me about podcasting, because I'm a podcast expert. Truly, I am. You are. But I'm not teaching people how to do what I do, which is shame on me. And well, you, you and I have had been, the same conversation. Bad. You've been thinking about it, and you, I know you're just one degree away. And yeah, uh, would you say that that's a dream of yours? It is now. I mean, it, you know, it's almost not a dream. It's almost I have to do this in big red letters above my head blinking at me. I mean, I'm it, call them God winks or call them whatever you want. You're having the same thing. And you're right. People, they don't know what to ask. And we kind of have to say, listen, you know, here are some questions you you can ask like you just so wisely said there are no stupid questions but what what are some examples that people who need or want to have better money management what should they be asking themselves what what should they be asking of advisors or educators such as you because we don't know what we don't know that's that's very very true um and when you're in a position of not knowing um i think that it, it instinctively makes you feel uh, less than. So we're culturally, we're culturally imbibed to feel that way as women anyway. But um, in this case, with money, I think it's even more pronounced. So I think one of the best questions that a woman can ask of an investment advisor is, um, what, show me what, where you are aligned with receiving 
income or remuneration on the back end. What products are you what, and your company, what products are you and your company receiving uh, remuneration on the, on the back end? I want to know. In other words, we're moving into a field or a time in which almost all products, financial products, are more and more complex. And the more complex they get, uh, it's, it's, more, it's less transparent who is receiving a back-end benefit from pushing those products. And oftentimes I'll the back-end benefit... I'll be honest with you, Lynn. I assume mm-hmm. they're like politicians. They're all receiving something. Well, more and more that is the truth, and the, the assumption yeah. does not need to be an assumption. It can be in a question so that the advisor is obligated to answer. And that's just a transparency question. It's a transparency question. So um, I think women need to be bolder in asking those kinds of of questions that make investment advisors sweat a little bit. Um, Because it is good to know. It's a consumer's right to know. And I'm feeling that more and more consumers, especially women, are afraid to ask because, you know, they don't think that the answers are going to be understandable. And what do I mean by that? They, they have a preconceived fear that they're not going to understand what the answers are. So even if they get an answer, it's going to kind of go over their head. Do you see what I'm saying? And I, I watched that happen in an awful lot of, of cases. And is when that I was deliberate? Do you think advanced, that the answers are, are – <laughs> is it deliberate the answers are – a bit oh, murky well, because they just kind of assume that most people aren't going to understand the intricacies? I think that, you know, it depends. I think that there yeah. are a lot of really great investment advisors who align themselves on the same side of the desk with their clients and become teachers. And I applaud them. Uh, those are the ones who take extra time to really teach the ramifications of what's inside the product, even if it looks pretty murky at first, and that there's a, a language, by the way, money languages, of, it's, you know, it can be, it, sound, it can sound like Chinese to a lot of women. It is an entirely different language. Um, and so some of the language can get pretty arcane. So there are, however, unfortunately, investment advisors who like to sit at the opposite side of the desk psychologically and really still um, talk down to women or assume that, well, you know, I just want to confuse the person further so that they then will come look to me as a godlike figure, <laughs> you see. And that has happened, I think, through the, throughout the decades more than not. And I want to just say one, there's one other area that I'd like to, to shed light on, and that is that even under the many of the best of circumstances and great relationships between client and investment advisor, I believe that women are, are hesitant and reticent to demand what they want. And a good example of that is I have a friend who just called me not too long ago, right before the markets began to um, get soft, here in the last um, three months, you know, when we had the peak, 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 peak of the markets earlier this year, and she intuitively felt that she needed to have her investment advisor sell, and he wouldn't. And but that's she not called his me. choice, is it? No, well, I mean it's, it's her money. There's a there is an agreement between investment advisor and client. Every every relationship can have, um, you know, you can have an agreement that can change. You can change your agreements, and that's what my lesson back to her was. Look, every agreement that you have with your investment advisor doesn't mean that the investment advisor has the ultimate authority to do uh, what they say that is right. They must really still have the 100% um, faith and confidence from the client. Now, usually that's the case, but if there's a, a turn in the market and someone like my friend who is savvy, she's a 
savvy, multimillionaire um, who's been through this before, and she just got nervous, not and did and and stepped back and said, "Well, you must know what you're doing. You must see more than I do. You you've been in the markets longer than I do. I just have this intuitive sense, and can we at least?" Um, you know, sell X, Y, Z. So she called me and I said, you know, here's what I would do. I advised her to call back her investment advisor and do what I call a sleep at night version, which is sell enough so that the client can sleep at night. What does that mean? Well, that means that, you know, you sell, you might sell um, 20% of the portfolio. Every person is different. A sleep at night factor might be, no, no, not this time. I want to sell half. You know, it, it, each one of these situations are different. And, um, but there, it, it requires the woman as the investment client to have the courage to have that conversation and go back to the well and say, no, 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 no. I'm, this is my money. And even if I'm wrong, I want you to do what what I wish at this time because my stress levels are off the charts. And actually she was, she was absolutely right. Within two months, the market sold off a good 15%. She was right. She was listening to her intuition, her financial intuition. And then I'd like to just really push one concept that I really believe and that is women have an innate financial intuition that we just are not listening to. As a matter of fact, I like to say that what if there actually exists within all women an ace financial manager? Like, it's almost as if we know more than we're giving ourselves credit for knowing. We do. We've, we've had financial... Uh, transactions as consumers all the way back to when we we bought our first purses and could discern the difference between uh, which purse <clears throat> had a higher longevity or value you know relative to a, a, the cheap purse we know value we know value we and do, and we I'm so glad you... see what you, I'm saying? Yeah, oh, I do. God. And when you said purse, I went, oh, listen, for years, I didn't carry a purse because I couldn't afford what is basically termed a, a designer bag, one that has mm-hmm. high quality. Everything in it is high quality. And I admit now, my closet looks like Nordstrom's threw up in there. I've got a ton of really, really, really nice bags. Mm-hmm. But I, when I bought my first cheap little bag and I don't think it was Walmart I don't know where it was but I realized almost instantly that was a piece of trash and it wasn't going to last long and I was probably going to lose the strap by the fourth wearing and I just refused to to not have a purse or a bag that I didn't fall in love with and trust so for years I just didn't carry one until I came across one a gorgeous bag that I carried for years in a, a Secondhand shop? What, no, what do you call it? A retail yeah, shop. Yeah. Uh-huh. I had to put it on layaway. I wanted that thing so bad, and I carried it for years until I finally literally wore the leather out of it. But it, it <laughs> but got see, me started I want to point out thinking. That, I want to point out what you just said, Denise, is that you knew the value, you knew the quality, I did. and when when you found it at, available at a, um, I'm going to say at a, a percentage off valuation oh, you you got it you, yeah. know, at, you see though so you knew that when it was available to you at a a lower price or a more a higher valued purchase price you knew instinctively that that was a value proposition and you you purchased it and i'm i'm here to to have women be a lot more aware and confident of the fact that we know value as a matter of fact we know present value what something costs today, and we look for something that we can buy of value that we know has the longevity, and I call that future value. 
And really, when you translate that into the stock market, it's the same thing. So we don't just settle is the point. We're not just going to settle. Look, we all Mm -hmm. have, every one of us, to put it in the the home worker or home care house, whatever you, however you want to put it, we've all got drawers of junk. We have closets of junk. We have throwaway yeah. junk. We have junk, junk, junk. All of that stuff used to be cash. Stop ah. spending your money on crap. Is my point. Well, that's a good point because um, you know that really goes into the conversation bucket of how do we have more money to invest with, and that comes as a result of a higher awareness of saving. What is saving? And a lot of people really hate to save. I, I, you know, can I just invest and make a, a, become wealthy without having to save? No, you can't. You really, you know, and you, very good point, Denise. Many of us have um, gone in the, to the last 20, maybe 30 years of uh, filling our houses and our now our garages and now our um, storage units <laughs> filled oh, yeah. full of yep. things that are going to be the future landfills. And, and nobody wants did, it. Your kids don't want it. You can't yeah. leave it to them. They're and going to throw it away. The economic phenomenon on why that happened is because of the, you know, in my opinion, that the cheaper goods came in from China and uh from overseas that made it almost irresistible for us to, to go down the food chain and purchase an awful lot of things at lower prices that we felt that we wanted, but we kind of overdid it. We, we mm-hmm. went in that direction. And as you mentioned, all of that money used to be cash. Right. So and it's all throwaway stuff. So it's geez. easy to say, oh, well, you know, I need a flashlight. Well, I don't know where my old one is. I'll go buy one at the Dollar Tree. I'm guilty. My hand is in the air. I do this kind of stuff, and then I'm mad. We all do. Because I know better. But what if women can start today? And, yes, we've done that in the past. But what if we can start today and say, you know, um, I can be more mindful, which is a lovely spiritual term these days. What if we can use some of these spiritual mindful practices and put them on our money, whereby it becomes a, a reward for us, uh, not to, to be frivolous, but rather per every $1,000 that we have that we don't spend frivolously, instead, we put it into um, a special savings account or a special investment account, even if it's a playing account, that you then learn more and more on the power of your purchase power in terms of assets, because the assets of um, invest, investing assets, whether it's equity assets, which is uh, uh, stocks, or fixed income assets, which are bonds, and re- getting an, a return on your vet investment over time and really saving for the your retirement, those kinds of concepts might sound like yawn, 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 but really all it really is is funding your future dreams. This is important. It is. And what you're talking about reminds me of a conversation that was had in my my Facebook group, Feline Office Assistance, and somebody was asking about pet insurance, which I think is a scam. I really do. And my response was to, listen, instead of paying monthly, especially if your your pets are older, as mine are, one or two of them, they can't get insurance. They're 17, 16, 17 years old. Not going to happen. But they're perfectly healthy. But my my point to them was to listen, open up a little savings account for your call it pet insurance, call it whatever you want. Because mm-hmm. as your pets grow older, they're going to need assistance from you and you're not going to have the money. So set that money aside now and don't worry about paying for pet insurance. So it's kind of the yeah. same thing. Put it into real life balance and then you're like, Oh, okay, that makes sense. Oh, that's a really interesting topic, too, that probably would, could require, you know, another hour. But still, how insurance is an interesting area of um, when people feel as if they need insurance, oftentimes um, I would advise to just look at it again. 
see, do you really need that? And I think pet insurance is a very good example, but also it's not the only one. Um, when I go to places like Best Buy or you know, buying appliances, uh, it's the same thing there. The, some of the highest um, margin profit of companies that are manufacturers of appliances and uh, even technology appliances now, they make their biggest money on insurance, on um, whether you're going to break or if, if it goes. <laughs> and, ab- and they know, in fact, many people fear that a lot of the products are made in, in, in a way that the You're breaking up real bad. Get get closer to the phone, Lynn. You're breaking up really badly. Okay. Is this No. I don't know what happened. No, not really. We'll keep talking. We'll see how far we get. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to say that we... Can can you hear me now, Denise? That's a little bit better. You're still breaking up a little bit, but it's not as Hmm. bad. I apologize. It must be the Wi-Fi. Oh, uh, it is. Trust me. Okay. I'm a techie. I'm a nerd in stilettos. I love my technology, but it's always the Wi-Fi. Trust me. I know. Well, anyway, uh, just as in a quick conclusion is that it, it's a great way to perhaps save some money. Not Insurance uh, is not always a thing. Always. Yeah. Yeah, I lost you again. But I I did hear that that insurance is not always the best bet. And you know how you know? You get on the phone. This happens to me all the time. I'll call my tech company to say, hey, clean up my computer, do this. They want to sell me something. No matter what company, AT&T, whatever it is, it's like their tech people now are trained to sell you something. And I'll tell them straight up before they even start, I'm not going to buy anything from you. So don't waste your time or mind. Let's just get this fixed. And I'm very polite about it, but I know what's coming, and the answer is no, 100% of the time. So I just stop them up front because that's happening with every single company that I have to have direct, you know, conversations with, and I know it's coming. So I'll just say no. Yeah, I'm going to warn you right now. You can't sell me anything. Oh, look, I know this is where you make your commission. I know your bosses are telling you to do this. Don't waste your time with me. Okay. They're sad, but they say, okay. <laughs> you know. Okay. Well, I think, that, you know, that's, that is really great because you have um, the awareness. And, and I'm, I, think that, I think my point is I would just really love women to be at a higher aware state um, because we can have more impact than we have up to this point. Um, it's time to invest for impact. It's time to invest for our own dreams. I have the theory that women put everybody else first and ourselves become last, you know, and then our dreams, um, they wither away and die. And we never really get to the point where we need to understand that it takes, it, it takes our um, 100% commitment to our wealth. No one's going to create wealth but us. And it, and it can be, it, I just am here to let women know, and the men who love them, that women can have financial independence because once again, if we put more money in the hands of women, this world is going to be a better place. Women do better with the money. They do. They, they invest uh, in wonderful things that are life-giving, life-giving. And I think that women will have, up to this point, had a, a huge impact, but it's just the beginning. So every woman who hears me, I really believe this is your time. This is your time. This is your responsibility, but it is your dream. It's your time. And what if inside every woman is an ace money manager? Well, I think there is. And you talked about, you know, old um, commercials. And I love to go back into some of these um, 
old time Facebook pages where they're they're putting up the old, you know, written, you know, whatever. How do you want to? I can't even talk right now. I can. <laughs> you, do you understand what I'm saying? Because I, yeah. I, I'm hearing it in my head. Can you hear it? <laughs> I can't get it out of my mouth. <laughs> but, but you know, I love to look at some of these old commercials and some of these old um, banners and written and graphic commercials because they're they're hilarious. But my point for bringing all that up is that as women, and especially young marrieds with children, I mean, aren't we largely responsible for the, every penny that comes out of the household budget? If there is a household yes. budget, we're taking care of the kids, we're taking care of the cats, the dogs, the car. Maybe your husband's helping with the car, maybe not. I mean, he's busy too. But basically, I remember from my mom and me, you know, that that household budget was mine. Nobody cared about it, and I'm single, and I'll be single for the rest of my life. So I have to really understand my household budget because if I don't, there's nobody to bail me out. But when you go back to the Christmas catalogs and you know all the the things that are geared towards women, Mm -hmm. it seems to be largely family and household oriented. Or am I wrong? Well, you're wrong only to the point that. Uh, that's only half of the story, but you're right okay. about the fact that uh, it is absolutely still valid. It, and the okay. other half of the story is that women are being targeted now, um, not, and I, you know, in a good way, not in a bad way. But women are the number one buyers of technology. I don't know if you know that, but women are the number one consumers I of, do know that. of technology now. And we really yep. are, are the communicators because, look, we talk all the time. <laughs> we want more no. communication. Yeah, we want higher <laughs> communication. We want better communication. Um, and, and I would say this. You're right about the fact that women have had control of our family budgets but they also we're also the ones that go to sleep at night with the most worry. Uh, worry about, you know, how are we going to fund our children's education? How are we going to blah, blah, blah. How, and then at the end of one, uh, like three quarters of the way through life, how am I going to have enough money to retire on when we put everybody else first? We funded everybody else's education, and then suddenly what about me? Um, I don't have an awful lot left to retire on. So these, these concerns that women have throughout their life are real. Um, and I just believe that many women can do a better job because it's going to be not so, not so easy going forward. I mean, this is going to rock and roll economy and inflation can take a big chunk out of the, buying, the future buying power of all women. And this is why I really believe that now more than ever, we need to get a little bit smarter and a little bit more focus. And with women, I just really believe that, um, I think there's a really a great quote that I used to have with you. It's from Claire Booth used to say that a woman's best protection is a little money of her own. And I'll just rephrase that quote, you know, uh, a woman's best protection is a little money of her own. I'm saying a woman's best impact happens to be a lot of money of her own. And we're not saying, for the audience, we're not saying hide everything from your husband or your kids. We're mm-hmm. saying step into your own magnificence. I mean, women are brilliant. Yes. It's, I mean, there's yeah. no reason in the world why we should be running around picking up after everybody else and saying, you know, I've paid for everything. I got nothing left for me, and I'm exhausted. That shouldn't be happening. It should not be happening. Um, I really believe that 80% of women are holding back from talking about uh, money. Um, you know, how many of us have really solid financial plans? How many of us have really solid uh, wealth creation plans? How many of us are moving into uh, corporate ownership, you know, it's it's uh, it just feels like it's a, an inflection point. We've done a, a great, great job up till now. Over the last 20 to 30 years, has probably been a, 
a huge growth in the power of women. But now, going forward, it's time. It's time to really take the reins and, uh, and have more impact because we want to. Because we want to, don't we, ladies? Yes. <laughs> we want we to. Do. And, Lynn, I, I know that you coach and you know, have conversations with a lot of women who are asking you know, some of the questions that we're talking about. What is it recently that you're hearing the most from women who are saying, okay, I don't have enough money, what's my next move? Or I don't know why I do the silly things I do with money. What are you hearing, like the top three things that people are really, women in particular, are really concerned about right now? Well, I just did a poll of um, some of the women in, in, um, in my sphere that I, I sent out emails to, and I received a poll back, and I asked them, which is, what are the top five concerns uh, that, of money issues that are on your mind right now? And I would say 40% came back that they're concerned about earning more. Okay, so that means at the front end of the money cycle, they feel like they're not earning enough to make ends meet or to have an investment portfolio or to even save for retirement. Um, a few of them had the concerns for saving their retirement, but more it was almost as if their concerns are far more immediate. They can't even see down the road far enough yet to de- deal with the retirement issue. They're really still is struggling with earning enough. So that's 40% of, of that really said something to me. And not that my expertise is on um, helping women earn more money, except when they, you know, because my expertise has always been uh, managing people's portfolios, uh, investable capital that's already in the markets, and maximizing that. And, of course, there's ways to maximize your income by by, utiliz- by utilizing better decision-making in investing, but you have to have the money to invest in the first place. Well, and that's so, true, and yeah. what if you don't have any investments at this time? And I'm asking this because I don't think it's ever too late to start. But what if you just don't have any investments? What if things are so mm-hmm. tight for whatever reason, maybe you got a divorce or you went bankrupt or you're not making enough money, or the kids are really expensive and I want to put them outside on the curb. Whatever is going on, they just don't have any investments. So where do they start? Well, that's, that's a great question, and I think that um, really that's, that's when you need a uh, – that's when you need a really solid awareness on um, budgeting money and budgeting can be fun. And a really, in, once again, women are great budgeters. We have ace money management in our souls. We know how to pinch a penny. And we can. When push comes to shove, we can. Um, I think that the, the real trick that, or the, the plea is that women want more access to higher paying jobs. I have to say that. That's really what it comes down to. Yes, you can pinch a penny and um, have budgets galore so that whatever you do have, you can save, and, and, and that's possible. It is possible, and I can help with that as well. But I really think that what I'm hearing is that the larger plea is um, access to strategies for women to get higher-paying jobs, and that comes with, a high th- I think, higher confidence that women can uh, compete for higher-paying jobs. They deserve to compete for high, higher-paying jobs, perhaps need to have better counseling on how to go out and get those higher-paying jobs. And that is, um, I think that's maybe where, where the call to action has a lot of, uh, of what we can do, especially after the pandemic when, you know, so many women, I believe, lost their jobs that were really solid uh, paying jobs, and there's been a huge downsizing effect. You know, it's, it's, it's critical. It's a critical time for women. I'm seeing that. I'm hearing that from a lot of people that I know. And they're saying, well, I 
don't want to rock the boat. I've heard this a lot, and you probably have as well. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to get fired. Is that right? I have not heard that. (laughs) But I I wouldn't be surprised. It's frightening, yeah. You know, I think that there again, that women play, hmm. Okay, that brings up a whole other topic, (laughs) Denise. Women not rocking the boat. How cultural is that in terms of what we've been fed? I had the same Don't thought. Don't rock I, the boat. Oh, I my know. gosh. And me being me, I'm not going to only rock that boat. I'm probably going to tip it over. But that's, you know. <laughs> Go for it, girl. I'm not quite normal. <laughs> well, I, once again, I think this is why we kind of love, I love to have money talk conversations to really empower women to be the to be the the glass breakers, you know, you got a you got a glass around you that doesn't, ever, you know, you're feeling like, oh, I can't walk the boat, I can't do this, I can't do that, and the can'ts get in the way. Well, what if you can? And sometimes it just needs you just need somebody to say, oh yes, you can, oh yes, you can. I, I remember when I was uh, a stockbroker, and. Most stockbrokers with major, major firms, which I started out with two of the major national firms, uh, the, the going mindset at the time was you have to be a stockbroker or, you know, move up the chain of command inside your company because they, they have a lock on all of the investment data and if you dare to go out on your own, you will get killed. And everybody said, you can't. I thought, well, why can't I have my own company? Why can't I have my own broker dealership? And, oh, no, you can't do that. You're going to get killed. No, nobody's going to believe that you can choose a stock or a bond by yourself. You need an entire um, department of investment analysts behind you. And that's, of course, what the Merrill Lynch's of the world had and still have. But I said, well, what if I could? And that's something that most women never ask a question that's so shattering. It shatters your complete world. What if I could? What if I could? And I had at the time a mentor, which is why I'm so, so big on finding a mentor for yourself. Um, finding someone who was beyond 30 years older than me, he had built his own broker dealership years and years ago, uh, sold it, bought another one, or crafted another one for himself. And he said, well, I did it. You can do it. And I said, yeah, but I'm a girl. He said, so what? So what? Well, girls, you know, are not allowed to do this, 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 and nobody's ever done it before and at, at the time. I was in the West Coast. I was probably maybe the second or third woman who through the legal paperwork in the securities offices in downtown Los Angeles. They'd never seen a girl in there signing all of the securities paperwork that were needed, you know, all the licensing. It took me two years to get all of the licensing ready to own, operate, and open my own broker dealership. And they were actually so helpful to me once I started the process that they're rooting for me, all these guys, all these men say, no, yeah, why not you? Why not you? And then that's what happens. You begin to get people on your side rooting for you, gets you confident. Well, I love the question. Um, It's a powerful question. What if I could? Well, and like me, you're a bit pig-headed. I mean, you know who you are. You know what your skills are. You know how you can help people. When I started you know, I went back to school later in life and I got a computer science degree. Nobody cares but me because I had to pay for that darn thing. But Mm. I took it and ran with it, and I'll tell you why I ran with it, because I did not want to work with somebody else's office. And, I mean, the minute I got that degree, they're like, okay, we've set up interviews with this company and this company. And I said, you haven't paid a lick of attention to me in school, have you? I am not working for anybody else. I run with scissors, I don't play well with others, and I'm not going to get your coffee. If you want coffee, you can get it your own damn self. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so I immediately opened up your office on you the web, and I've never looked back. If, if, oh, I know. 
If you I am unemployable, era, and it's deliberate. Oh, <laughs> my unemployable. goodness. But you, you know, know what? what I, I love you. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. But you know what I found? <laughs> if you have to let go of a client, you know, I'm a web developer. I have a social media marketing agency. If you have to, for whatever reason, let go of a client or it's just not going to work out, I have found that nature abhors a vacuum. And the minute you cut mm. something loose that just is not working for you and you're paying attention, something better pops up within the hour practically. And that's not an exaggeration. I mean, within a short time, something else has come to take that place that was so much better than yeah. the thing you let go. There you go. I love that too because, you know, when you let go of something, like you said, something you give the vacuum, an opportunity, something new to come into its place. And women, listen, that is so important. Be be ready to do something new in your life that you've never done before. Yeah, it's scary, but hey, the rewards can be worth it. And especially as applied to money, um, I'm I'm just here to say that more women need better self-confidence as it relates to money. You know, women actually, did you know women actually do own the world? No. Economically? Well, well there <laughs> the are more of us show, than there are men, I, I, I need think. To go, I need to go find the statistics, but the actual number of uh, real wealth in terms of shareholder wealth is in the hands of women mostly because the men men die young and uh or younger than women and so women live longer and they inherit it not that they earned it or created it themselves but in the end they inherited it so there are statistics i think i should go you know get those statistics but it is true some the uh the actual amount of wealth that is owned is controlled by women. They just don't really, I think most women wouldn't even know that fact. So let that be something that we can take heart at uh, and strive to each one of us. Be, be one of those financially free, wealthy women with uh, with our own investable portfolios and um, be able to do good in the world more than right. ever. And you said something that's so important. It's like, why can't I? Seriously, why can't I? That has been my question since I was old enough to walk, talk, and tie my own shoes. Why can't I? Don't tell me no. Mm. I can do whatever I want to do. I can't really, but in my mind, I can do whatever I need to do. You know, that reminds me, I'll just say one last point that I'd like to put up. Ed. I did co-author a book um, with a couple of ladies. It's called Wealth, Man- uh, Wealth Mastery for Women. And the first chapter is all about the fact that if you want to master wealth in your life, you, the first step is to make the decision that you want to be wealthy that you want to have financial freedom. First step is a decision. Right. And, you know, that is so obvious. But why don't Isn't we think about it? that? It's so yeah. obvious. <laughs> it's like, it's so we don't simple. know what we it's don't like, know, but that well, is so stinking obvious. something new. Well, um, you know, yeah. so we just, <laughs> but it's true. So all those who are listening, if you decide that that's what you want, hey, why not? Why not you? Exactly. Lynn, we're, we're out of time, <laughs> believe it or not. I told you this is the fastest hour on the Internet. So before I let you go, do you have anything else that you want to share with the audience? Well, I just had a great time here. It's been a pleasure to be with you. And uh, I would just, once again, encourage those women who are listening and the men who love them to um, let's talk more about money. You have an ace, man, ace money measure inside you. Uh, let's bring her out. We can do better. We can. Listen, we're still breaking up a little bit, but fortunately it's at the end of it, so I hope people can still hear you and understand you. But where can people find you? Well, I think we have a um, 
website that people can go to. Um, I'm sponsoring the Money Talks for Women this Thursday, uh, and they can go there to find a, a place. That, uh, it's called moneytalks.linkitchen.co. C-O is in company. So right. Money Talks, they can find me there, moneytalks.linkitchen.co. C-O. And just come join me for Money Talks for Women. We'll have the opportunity to have a conversation about how we can support you in uh, becoming a greater freedom, more wealth, higher, make your dreams come true, fund your dreams. Yeah, I registered yesterday. Yep, I registered already. I did. Yeah, I did over the weekend. Listen, thank you, Lynn. It's been wonderful speaking with you, and I thank you for all of the terrific tips and advice that you've shared with our audience And before we say say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us on iTunes, Amazon Prime, honestly, anywhere else you consume your business podcasts. You really can't throw a stick on the Internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio. So go look for us, find us, and take us along on your success journey. Lynn, thank you again. (laughs) Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. 